Disclaimer. The following podcast contains explicit language and adult content. The content may offend some listeners. Relax and don't be a hater. Hello. Welcome to a walk in the park podcast. (laughs) This is Riss. And this is Babs. And in our podcast, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of wine, cake, laughter, friendship, success, families, fun, the extraordinary. We're happy you're listening. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I love it. Let's just get this walk started, baby. Woo-woo. A Walk in the Park podcast listeners, this is Babs, and I'm here with another Babs mini-sode. Why another mini-sode, you might wonder? Well, it is hard to get the podcast pals together these days. We're all busy, and our schedules just don't align that well currently. So here you have it, another mini-sode. On my mind currently is how climate change is and will affect air travel. So what is the basic science here? As the Earth warms, vertical wind shear increases, which results in more unstable air in the jet streams. Clear air turbulence. It's invisible, and according to atmospheric scientists, not only to the naked eye, but to onboard weather radar. As someone who flies frequently, I am more than a little concerned. So what is or causes turbulence? According to the Climate Adaptation Platform, an online portal for climate research and scholarship, Quote, turbulence occurs when a plane flies through chaotic and unstable eddies or swirls of air clashing from opposite directions. Increased turbulence is also a result of changes in the wind speed of the jet streams, a strong wind system that blows west to east at 5 to 7 miles above the Earth's surface. Changes in temperatures between the poles and the equator affect the jet stream. As the poles rapidly warm due to climate change, the jet stream weakens and becomes wavier, creating more eddies or wind swirls and increasing flight turbulence, end quote. This isn't a new topic. People have been talking about it for the last decade. It is definitely being discussed more regularly now, it seems. I have a 50th birthday trip to Australia planned later this year. That is many, many hours in the air flying from Florida and not many places to divert to in an emergency over the Pacific. Is it irresponsible for both my husband and I to go when our children are only 16 and 20? Australia will be my sixth continent. Then I will just need Antarctica. I feel as though I need to get them both in within the next two years or will be at risk of not completing the trip and the top of my bucket list to set foot on all seven continents. Irony notwithstanding that air travel is a major polluter and contributor to the climate crisis. I know, I know, it reeks of illogic and hypocrisy to claim to be highly concerned about anthropogenic climate change while behaving in ways that make it worse. I've looked into buying carbon offsets. What is carbon offsetting, you might ask? Well, according to Climate Trade, quote, carbon offsetting is the process of funding projects that reduce or remove greenhouse gas emissions to compensate for one's own emissions in order to achieve a net zero carbon footprint. End quote. Sounds simple enough, but does it have any meaningful impact? 
When you purchase a carbon offset, you are directly contributing to sustainable projects dedicated to reforestation, green energy, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But is it all too little too late at this point? It's winter in Antarctica right now, and the drop in sea ice is alarming scientists. The ice sheet melts, it breaks off, sea levels rise. Less ice means less reflection of solar rays, making the water warmer. Think of it this way. Earth absorbs energy from the sun. To cool itself off, it needs to deflect infrared radiation back into space. Greenhouse gases prevent the Earth from cooling itself. Humans need to be able to regulate their body temperatures to sweat. If they can't, they die. It's the same for Earth. One thing is important to remember. Weather and climate are two different things. Weather is your day-to-day, what's happening, but climate is about patterns and trends over longer periods of time. So even though we still have cold weather, that doesn't mean the climate isn't warming. Even though some drought-ridden parts of the globe might get a storm that drops flood-level rains in a short period of time, it doesn't mean the very real global water crisis has gone away or been solved. I think we're just as humans always looking for the bright side when we don't want to confront something difficult. So yes, if California, Arizona, the American Southwest gets rain, we think that's great, but don't take one rainstorm that plays out over a couple days as dramatically changing anything in the climate. That is weather not climate. Maybe it's helpful to have some definitions and people who are interested in educating themselves often defining things are how you actually, of course, begin to have a dialogue that has meaningful impact or opportunity to change, I should say. So climate as defined by the uh, climate leadership training that I took earlier this year. Um, They define climate, the Climate Reality Project, as, drumroll please, just kidding. Climate is often defined in a narrow sense as the average weather and more rigorously as a statistical depiction of weather in terms of average values and the variability of the corresponding dimensions during periods of time that might go from months to millions of years. The usual average is 30 years, according to the definition of the World Meteorological Organization, and the dimensions are often surface variables such as temperature, precipitation, and wind. Okay, I actually think that's probably more confusing than helpful. So let's see if Google can do something a little better than that. Definition of climate. Hopefully you can hear my typing. Climate, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, okay, is one, a region of the earth having specified climatic conditions. Two, the average course or condition of the weather at a place, usually over a period of years, as exhibited by temperature, wind velocity, and precipitation. Okay, I mean, that's what the definition I first read to you said, basically. The prevailing set of conditions as of temperature and humidity indoors. Not relevant here. Three, the prevailing influence or environmental conditions characterizing a group or period atmosphere. Also not relevant here. Okay, so... The relevant definition for the climate crisis is, one, what I shared with you, and two, Merriam-Webster's very similar dictionary. 
I think the key to remember personally is individual weather events do not change anything from a climate perspective. And it's hard to understand sometimes how to hang in there to see if things can build. Uh, Climate change. A change registered during an extended period of time, decades or more, regarding climatic variables such as precipitation, temperature, and wind caused by natural or anthropogenic factors together with the natural climate volatility observed during comparable periods of time. And okay, I mean, to me, it's a very common concept at the forefront of everything I think about when I think about climate change is there are two, as we just heard, types, natural, things that just occur as Earth makes adjustments over, you know, millions and billions of years. Let's face it, the planet has been here a lot longer than humans. Or anthropogenic, which basically means human, human caused, human caused. It always startles me when you hear, oh, I don't believe in climate change or climate change isn't a real thing. Of course it's a real thing. You can look at five years of data and you can see how stuff has changed. Where the Farmer's Almanac, for crying out loud, um, you can debate the degree to which the climate change is anthropogenic, and there is data to support that as well. And behind this is the fossil fuel industry. Our reliance on the fossil fuel industry is anthropogenic contribution to climate change, and it is staggering. So why can't we all just get behind clean energy and focusing on the technology, the labor, the education to switch ourselves to a lifestyle and an economy that doesn't rely on fossil fuels. Um, For people who don't know anything about fossil fuels and really where they come from, I mean, they're basically compressed dead animals for millions and millions of years under the soil. Therefore, it is a finite resource. Um, It's not like there's some regenerative well of fossil fuels beneath the surface. (sighs) All right. I know I've probably lost a lot of people at this point, but I just wish that more people would step up and see where they can do their parts. And a lot of that is going to take uh, pressuring fossil fuel conglomerates, governments into making changes, making necessary changes. Um, All right. What else? What else? Does everybody know what a greenhouse gas is? It is atmospheric gases that absorb the sun's infrared radiation and increase the Earth's global temperature. The main greenhouse gases are carbon dioxide, which once it's in the atmosphere, you have to draw it down or it just stays there. Methane, which does eventually dissipate after 20 plus years, but while it's up there, does dramatic damage, and nitrous oxide. The hydrofluorocarbons, perfluorocarbons, and sulfur hexafluoride 
are among the less prevalent but very powerful greenhouse gases. These gases are produced naturally thanks to biological processes such as living beings breathing or plants going through photosynthesis. However, due to fossil fuel combustion, deforestation, and overexploitation of natural resources, they have reached unsustainable levels. Okay, so see, there you have it. There are natural contributions which the earth has been able to self-correct, keep in balance, compensate for until basically the industrial revolution. And now humans are pushing the earth at such speed to such a brink that we are risking not being able to backpedal. (sighs) Well, I feel like I've probably lost most most of our listeners here anybody that actually listens to the podcast, but I am going to try to figure out a way, people. I'm going to try to figure out a way to get more people to care. I mean, whenever I start talking passionately about it, I can, of course, see the look on people's faces. Nobody wants to be called to the carpet and blamed. And I believe I've said before on this podcast, you as an individual are not to blame. But you as an individual need to do something. I as an individual need to do something. I should absolutely make what adjustments I can in my personal life. And I should figure out ways to make the climate crisis a prevalent, if not the most important topic, on whatever stage I can. Locally, nationally, internationally. And to that end, I've said it here before possibly, and I'll say it again now. I know some people who know me have already heard this, but when my youngest goes off to college in 2025, I have this idea that I'm going to shut down Alexander Legal, my IP boutique law firm, and pivot to environmental law and the climate crisis and climate justice and trying to save the world, not to be dramatic, but save the world for any future grandchildren I have and for the children that I have now so that by the time they're turning 50... The world isn't a complete shit show. And everybody should care. This really ties into everything. You're afraid of immigration in your country? Trust me. Climate refugees? I mean, that's unsustainable, people. Uh, If you think people are just coming, you know, looking for a better life now, imagine when you literally cannot live on the land or in the country that you once lived in. People will be pouring in by the millions. So there's a lot of self-interest here that people can uh, kind of lean on. It's to your benefit. It's to your benefit, no matter what you believe, to help address the climate crisis now.